Good evening. Today we're going to present another podcast, a conversation on acute and chronic complications of COVID-19. This is a uh, podcast hosted by the Cabo Verdean American Medical Society. And our moderator for this program will be Dr. Emmanuel Fontes, uh, who is a professor of anesthesia at Yale University. We have also with us a distinguished guests, uh, which include Dr. Nibel Melo, a nephrologist from St. Louis, Missouri. We have Dr. Susan Weinberg, who is a radiologist from uh, uh, Florida. We have Dr. João Tavares, uh, who is an uh, infectious disease specialist in the Cape Cod region. And we have Dr. Um, Samantha D'Andrade, who is currently uh, finishing her training in OBGYN, pursuing a career in uh, urogynecology at the Brigham and uh, Mass General Hospitals. Uh, so it's a great uh, honor to have all of these with us today, and uh, we look forward to this conversation. Sociedade de Médicos Cavalentos-Americanos nos Estados Unidos. E hoje esse programa é sobre complicações agudas e crônicas da Covid. Se ser apresentado e moderado hoje pelo Dr. Manuel Fontes, professor de anestesia, anestesiologia na Universidade de Entre painelistas, não tem Dr. Nível Melo, que é um nefologista. St. Louis, Missouri, tem Dr. Susan Weinberg, outro cavardiano que é radiologista na Flórida, Dr. João Tavares, que é um especialista em doenças infecciosas na área de Cape Cod, Massachusetts, e Dr. Samantha de Andrade, que também é um determina-se formação na obstetricia ginecologia, prosseguindo uma carreira na urogenecologia na Harvard uh, e uh, Brigham Women's Hospital e Master Hospital. Então, é um painel de, de especialistas distinguidos na cesárea que sabem participar nessa conversa. Então, uh, desde já agradeço-lhes a atenção e te espero que isso continue a ter conta conosco como fonte uh, de seguro em termos de informação nessa área. Muito obrigado. So you not see my face. I can do any face I want. Uh, yes, exactly. Can... I think Samantha just signed in. João, you don't have your 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 phone? I try my even the phone is not working now because they keep connecting and I don't know. I think we better stay where you are before we lose everything. So, all right, I'll pretend to be wrong. You guys hear the music? Yes, mm -hmm. I love yes. it. Yes. And people are signing in as we talk. So, uh, 
Yeah, I have a bunch of poll questions for everyone. Yeah. Um, have fun. This is a, a program being hosted by the Cabo Verdean American Medical Society on COVID-19. Today we're going to focus on acute and chronic complications of uh, COVID-19. Panel of experts. I hope everyone enjoys this meeting. Thank you, Welcome to the Gint Sana Campfire, Samir. It's been to do Yale University, who's our moderator today. And uh, I hope you enjoy the program. Manuel, you're on. Boa tarde, good evening. Uh, it's a great pleasure uh, that um, uh, I, we have this opportunity to have this important webinar uh, this evening, as mentioned by uh, Nene, that's what I call him. Uh, the topic is going to be acute and chronic consequences of uh, COVID. Uh, we have a highly talented multi-specialty analysts, uh, including uh, Carla Moreira, that's going to try to translate uh, this important discussion uh, with the audience. Um, the father criolo muito bem, mas infelizmente is uh, is uh, 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 disciplina é muito difícil para mim para maioria de nós quando conversar na portuguesa ou criolo no tapestia. Então tudo esforço que Carlos também tenta fazer é nós é quatro cinco cinco que também fala hoje. Começando com o João Tavares, já é especialista na infectious disease, ah, e ele está bem dando ah, um, na inglês, overview ah, de lado de infectious disease de COVID. Na inglês, ah, the first speaker is going to be João Tavares, and he's an infectious disease specialist, uh, who's going to give us an overview about the pathogenesis of uh, uh, coronavirus followed by Susan Weinberg, uh, who's a radiologist, and she's going to be discussing adenopathy and radiologic features of COVID. Anibal Mello uh, is going to be discussing uh, the renal aspects of acute and chronic uh, COVID complications. Samantha uh, is going to be talking about the perinatal aspects of COVID, and then I'll conclude at the very end uh, with the macro and microvascular consequences of of COVID. Uh, due to uh, time limitations, I'm not gonna go over in Creole and reintroduce the speakers. And uh, let's please begin with Jean Tavaj. Si 
Carla, could you please share uh, Joan's slides, uh, please? No, Julie, I gave him many. Julia has, yeah. uh, has the slides. Julia has them. Thank you. It's coming up. Play. Go ahead. Have to go backwards. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay, Juan. Olá, boa tarde, chamo-me Dr. Tavares e, antes de tudo, eu queria agradecer à organização, panelista e ouvintes para aquela oportunidade. Não sabemos um papel sobre biologia de Covid e um bocadinho de epidemiologia. O tempo é um bocadinho curto, se calhar não tem quem curta alguma apresentação. Próximo uh, slide, por favor. Oh. Dr. So, Dr. Uh, João Tavares is going to talk to us about coronavirus biology and epidemiology. And uh, um, because of the time, we may have to skip some of the slides. Okay, next. Oh. Go ahead, Sean. Okay. Uh, Doença está chamada COVID, e a razão que está chamada COVID é para morrer CO, bem de corona, e vírus, e V, bem de vírus. D, bem de doença, e 19, bem de ano que a epidemia começa, por isso está falando COVID-19. Causa de ele é SARS-CoV-2, que é coronavírus tipo 2, associado a, a, e, a respiração e a Síndrome respiratório agudo severo. O que é traduzir, Carla? The, the, the slide. Uh, so, uh, the, the meaning of so COVID-19, where, where that word came from. So, COVID came from coronavirus. Um, the V from the virus. The 19 from the year that it was uh, the slide, uh, so, discovered. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, the, so COVID-19, where, where that word came from. So COVID came from coronavirus, um, the V from the virus, the 19 from the year that it was discovered. I lost the slide, so I'm sorry. Let, let me interrupt for a second. While we are trying to uh, fix the slide, uh, why don't we go to uh, Su uh, Susan's uh, presentation, please? If you bring it back up, I can share the screen. A good, good uh, evening, late afternoon, good evening. Uh, my name is uh, Susan Weinberg. I am a diagnostic radiologist, and I'm going to be speaking with you today about two separate issues. We're going to talk first about a common side effect, not a complication, but a side effect related to the corona vaccine. 
que le eh, uh, boa tarde, uh, que le Susan uh, Weinberg, ela é uma médica de radiologia e essa também fala conosco sobre uh, dois uh, 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 discursos sobre uh, com, que complicação, como reação de que a uh, 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 vacina contra a Covid-19. Uh, the first um, uh, topic we're going to be discussing is a side effect, not a complication, but a side effect related to taking the corona vaccination. And this que, is... Que li a primeira uh, uh, conversa é sobre que reação de hora que toma aquela vacina de, de Covid-19 é uma complicação de aquela vacina, mas é uma reação que o corpo pode sentir depois de tomar aquela vacina. We're going to be talking about the enlargement of lymph glands that occurs in the armpits after you take the corona vaccination. And it, the enlarged lymph nodes occur on the same site or the same side where you've received the vaccination. And this happens frequently. It happens in at least 20% of patients. Que li, uh, primeiro que te falei é sobre a hora que você toma aquela vacina naquele mesmo uh, braço, onde uh, que você recebe aquela vacina. Às vezes você sente aquele um, uh, uh, lymph node que alguém está falando que está falando criolo. Sim, aquela reação que você sente aquele caroço que está na, na, na baixo de, de uh, ombro. Yeah, na baixo de ombro, que na mesmo lado que você tá aquela vacina, e que ali é uma reação que tá acontece na 20% de alguém depois de tomar aquela vacina. Now, this is a side effect, and it's a good thing, because when this happens to you, it tells you that the vaccine is doing what it should do. It's basically energizing or activating your immune system so that these lymph nodes are occurring. The, the problem for us, I'll, I'll give you a chance okay. in a second, Carla. The problem okay. for us is that when these uh, lymph nodes become large, we can see them on x-rays and we can see them on mammograms. These are abnormally enlarged lymph glands. We can see them on CAT scans in the armpit and we can see them on PET scans. And we can't tell when we see these lymph glands whether or not they're there on a benign basis related to a vaccination or whether or not there's a malignancy present. O problema que que reação ali é que é uma reação que 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 é mal, que ele está mostrando o corpo está reagir e está que a vacina está pois o corpo está da imunidade do corpo está reagir para fazer que as que para dar aquela proteção. Mas o problema é que na hora que não pode tomar CAT scan ou outro tipo de imagem uh, que, esta, que pode fazer o depois, mas que a reação tá, é participa se às vezes que alguém tá, tem uh, doença que está participa da mesma maneira. E que é aquele problema uh, que nos fala dele. So, what we ask is that if you're going to have an examination, like a mammogram, or a CAT scan or a PET scan, that you have those studies done before you have your vaccination or wait at least six weeks after your second dose. So it's a simple guideline. 
Have your test done before your vaccination or wait six weeks after your second vaccine. Okay. Y un recomendación so pa 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 ayuda para nunca tener posicional confusión para de un puede ser reacción que normal que ya no puede oír, ma otro puede ser un 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 cosa que puto al vez na na imágenes da por da representa un cosa que más prigo. So recomendación es para buscar so if you have images like CAT scan or mammogram or other type of images that can show you that it's a gland, you can wait until you complete it, at least six weeks after you complete the vaccine. Six weeks and... Six weeks after the second dose. Okay, después de seis semanas, después de que completa el segundo dose de vacina. Okay, um, now we certainly understand, okay, that in some patients, you're going to have to have uh, an emergency mammogram or a CAT scan or a PET scan. And we understand that when that happens, uh, that um, um, you're gonna go ahead with those tests, but you need to kind of let us know that you've had the vaccine. You need to tell the person scheduling your vaccine, you're uh, scheduling your exam and the person who's performing your exam, let them know that you've had the vaccine, when you've had it, which side, which arm was injected and any other side effects that you had. And that way, when we look at your test, we can be less excited about enlarged glands and just do a follow-up instead of a biopsy. E Recomendación es si al vez tienen que tener posibles imágenes, sobre todo que el CAT scan o que el mamografía o otro tipo de imagen que puede mostrar que es glándulos que está más que puede estar más grande o reagir con vacina para buscar buen médicos y también mobo toma que el vacina cuando mobo toma que el vacina y también na que braço que ibu toma que a vacina, para mais já assim é ta alerta nós, para nunca ficar tão preocupado, ou se não pode, em vez de fazer um biopsy ou de abu não pode só trocar imagem e that's pretty good. Now we're going to switch gears. And we're going to talk a little bit about the short and long-term effects on the lungs when you actually have the COVID infection. We lost her. We lost Carla. We lost Carla, yes. Agora nós sabemos falar sobre pequeno ou mais longe consequências de corona, Especificamente na pulmões. Okay. We the way that we get a coronavirus infection is generally we pick it up in the air, we breathe in the vaccine, and it travels into our lungs, or we can touch a surface that has the vaccine, then touch our our eyes or our nose or our mouth, and then it the virus moves into our body, generally through our lungs. Now, the lungs are most frequently infected. Então, normalmente, a maneira que nos apanha a corona é 
quase maioria é, é via de pulmões, é possível também que o poripoimô num lugar que está infectado e não pode transmitir a corona, a, mas a maioria é, é via de pulmões. Now, most people who develop coronavirus, the infection, most people develop a fever. Almost 100% of people have fever. About 60% of people will have a dry cough. Uh, maybe a third of people will have shortness of breath, and one in four people will have a lot of mucus or phlegm. Sintomas de, uh, de corona, 99%, quase 100% de pessoas de febre, que esta tem primeiro, uh, um 60% esta tosse, a falta de ar, uh, um terça por cento, 31%, e... Uh, Mucas, não quer ser catarro, não quer ser maneira de casar o mucas na criola. Sim, está certo. Você pode me ouvir agora? Sim, nós podemos ouvir. Oh, ok. Obrigado. Right. Sorry. Okay. Now, um, when we develop a coronavirus infection in the lungs, I have to say that we're very lucky that 80% of the patients who develop the infection is very mild. You might have a little sore throat or a dry cough, and you might have a little bit of pneumonia. But 14... Ora, okay, you go right ahead. Ora que uh, se tem uma pessoa de uh, coronavírus que está feita pulmão, a uh, maior parte de alguém está, está, está tendo sintomas que é... Um... I think we lost her again. We lost her again. Sintomas que, que, que é simples, é muito, muito, muito pequeno. Uh, 14 Infelizmente, tem 14% que sintomas de ser muito, muito grave e essa tem outros problemas de respiração, incluindo a, a, a ser admitido no hospital e cuidar intensivo. A maneira que nós ficamos infectados nos lungs é que o vírus travels down the big airway in the chest, called the trachea, and then it goes, the trachea branches into many smaller airways. Finally, to what we call the air sacs within the lungs. And the air sacs is where the problem occurs with the coronavirus. The virus infects the air sacs and it starts to kill them. So we develop a lot of fluid in the lungs, a lot of dead cells, a lot of mucus. João, por favor. <laughs> Can you do it? Okay. De maneira que o vírus entra na pulmão e também através de traqueia, e pode também na brônquios, e depois também nas pequenas ramificações que ele possa ser transformado em pequenos sacos, que está chamado alvéolo. Ele começa a infectar com as células, ele mata algumas células, depois tem um monte de líquido que está sendo atraído para lá e está causa dificuldade na respira para o pulmão que fica cheio de água. Thank you. We're going to take a quick look at what happens or what we see when you have an infection related to the coronavirus within the lungs. We'll start with the normal chest x-ray. 
This is the right side of the lung, the left side of the lung, and the heart in the middle. The lungs look black to us when they're normal because they're filled with air. In this next slide, we have a CAT scan of a normal chest. The lungs are nice and black because they're filled with air. And uh, this is the x-ray you really want to have. Okay, so then começa para mostrar right shift com CAT scan normal de um alguém. Ali na lado ali, não tem primeiro right shift, não tem lado direito, não tem lado esquerdo. Na lado esquerdo, não tem coração. Se amanhã você está hoje, right shift é preto para morrer aquele que não está criando hoje, para morrer. Ora que tem só ar no pulmão, raios que consigo atravessar o pulmão, ora que bate na película, e também está fazendo a película ser preto. Naquele outro lado, ele não tem CAT scan, que é uma imagem muito mais, que tem maior resolução do que X-ray. Também eu estou olha, mas a maioria deles está preto. Que ali é o que não está crendo, para morrer aquele pulmão normal. Now I'm going to show you what happens when you have a COVID infection in the lungs. This happens to be a very mild infection. Remember we talked about the air cells which are damaged that fill up with fluid. Well, that fluid looks like white splotches on an x-ray or white shadows. And we can see in this lung, this right lung, that it's no longer nice and black filled with air, but we have patches of pneumonia on both the right and the left side. And when we look at the CAT scan, we can see things in even greater detail. We see pneumonia at the outside of the right and the left lung, much greater detail. But this is very mild COVID pneumonia. Gosselin, sabe mostra nós um raio-x e um CAT scan anormal, para morrer de ter COVID. Graças a Deus, eu tenho COVID muito ligeiro, mas nós não conseguimos, mas na periferia de raio-x, nós temos uns pequenos e manchas que se fica branco. Que as manchas é o resultado de que as pequenas vesículas, nós imaginamos uma esponja com um monte de braquinho, que se também fica cheio de água. A hora que fica cheio de água, esta parte está esbranquiçada. Que ela só significa uma doença estalar. De aquele outro lado, ele tem o CAT scan, que te dá uma imagem com muito mais detalhe, e de mesma forma, eu estou chamando a periferia, no lugar que devia ser preto, está um bocadinho esbranquiçado que te corresponde a células de amor e a uh, líquido só tem vários pequenos sáculos que estão lá. Unfortunately, in about 14% of cases, the disease becomes much more severe. And I think that you can see in this x-ray that we no longer have very much nice black lung, which would be filled with air, but now we have pneumonia throughout most of the right as well as the left lung. And we see these changes in much greater detail on a CAT scan of that same patient where there are patches of pneumonia almost everywhere within the right and left lung. And this patient is having significant difficulty breathing. This is severe COVID pneumonia. Infelizmente, alguns alguém está tendo doença grave. Na 14% de população está tendo doença grave. Se amanhã você está olhando naquele raio ali, quase tudo do lado do pulmão está esbranquiçado. Que ele é com o pulmão, que ele é com o raio que você tem. Que aquele outro raio normal estava a perceber bastante bonito, mas que ele se parece bastante feio. E o resultado é que tem um grande dano no pulmão e uma monte quantidade de fluido que atravessa aquela barreira e você tem vários pulmões. 
Naquele outro lado ali, nós temos imagem de cat scan. Apesar que essa parte uma imagem mais bonita, mas essa amostra tem um monte de dano no pulmão. Para morrer quase totalidade de pulmão, está ocupado o líquido, em vez de estar ocupado com pequenos sacos que está tendo ar dentro dela. And finally, we have a picture that you certainly don't want to have. And this is not just severe pneumonia, but respiratory distress. This person, here is the heart, here's the right, here's the left lung. This person almost has no functioning lung. Minimally on the right, a little more on the left, but most of the lungs are filled with pneumonia. This person is so ill and having so much difficulty breathing that we're breathing for the person. We put a tube in and we're breathing for them. The CAT scan on my right shows that the lungs are totally whited out just about. Um, and I don't think that there's any question that you or you would have any difficulty imagining that a person with this much pneumonia uh, might well progress to severe scarring of the lungs down the road and long-term problems breathing. And so this is the last uh, exam I'm going to share with you, but I'm going to share a very clear message that you don't want to be um, uh, in a presentation uh, on COVID uh, chest x-rays. Rather, you need to go and get your vaccinated vaccine scheduled. So uh, vaccination is very important. Uh, and we hope that um, uh, this message is very clear to you now. Well, I'm going to say that I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to say that 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 I'm going to say e mesmo ligado na tuba, às vezes, a consequência é que a riqueza melhor. Naquele outro lado ali, mesmo coisa, botou ele com mais clareza, uma pulmão está completamente invadido para a água e está completamente destruído. Monte riqueza alguém ali que está sobrevive. Mensagem que não creio deixa ali é para botar uma vacina, que é para que chegue aquela situação ali. At this point, I'm going to stop and thank you for your kind attention and I'm going to... Um... Uh, uh, let you move on and hear some um, a very good information from my colleagues. Okay, então acaba para terminar. Então agradeço a sua atenção. Então bem passa para minha próxima colega que também fala de um tópico bastante mais interessante. Susan, thank you so much for a great presentation, mm -hmm. and I would like to thank you to uh, João and Carla for a thank great interpretation as well. Mm -hmm. And João, uh, I'll apologize, uh, but we yes. will re resume, recontinue with you. Na Criolo, muito, muito agradecimento para Susan, para essa apresentação que foi excelente, e também para a tradução de Carla e João. Agora, nos da volta para trás, para João, nos desculpa desse problema de, uh, de eletrônicos. Uh, Nene, are you helping out with those uh, rounds? Uh... Nene, are you there? Uh, 
That was again. So, João, I apologize. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> Uh, for I'll the sake of, of, of time, then uh, um, uh, let's continue. Uh, Samantha, you uh, ready to go? Yes, I can share screen. Please. Uh... Okay. I'm Samantha D'Andrade. I'm an OBGYN and based in Boston. And I have the tremendous responsibility of sharing information about COVID-19 and how it impacts maternal and fetal outcomes. Joan, uh, what's the reason? Okay. I'm Samantha D'Andrade. I'm a medic, a specialist in obstetricia and gynecology. Partilha informação cunhosa sobre COVID na, na mãe e na filho. Okay. So it's difficult to study the um, how common COVID is in pregnancy, but the best of our data comes from institutions where in the very beginning or since the very beginning of this pandemic, we're testing all patients who were admitted to labor and delivery um, to deliver their babies. É um bocadinho fazer estudo de COVID na grávida, mas graças a Deus não tive alguns hospitais que desde o princípio de epidemia começam a fazer testes na tudo grávida que vai na ES e na tudo parturiente. So two studies that um, were published out of New York found that anywhere between um, 13 and a half to 20% of patients who were admitted uh, to deliver their babies tested positive for COVID the vast majority of them uh, were asymptomatic. So that is um, the red slice here and the orange slice here. Tem dois estudos que vem acima tudo de Nova York. E esta mostra, mas tem em princípio cerca de 3% a 15% de infecção na grávida. Mas graças a Deus, a maioria de eles estava sem nenhum sintoma. So most women who are pregnant with COVID-19 will have a very mild or asymptomatic disease course. Um, we know that from many case series. Um, we also know that uh, very few of them, less than 5% generally, require ICU level care. A maioria de grávidas que têm sintoma, tem alguns estudos que mostram 85 a 90%, mas têm sintoma muito ligeiro se tiver algum sintoma. Contudo, tem aproximadamente 5% que ter que cuidados intensivos. However, for women who have severe um, illness with COVID-19, these are women who will visibly be having trouble breathing, may require oxygen. Um, so they fall in this severe category and they seem to be the ones who have um, the most um, detrimental long-term impact uh, from COVID-19 on their pregnancies. Algumas grávidas podem ter sintoma mais grave e isso pode ser dividido na moderado ou severo ou crítico. Infelizmente, alguns desses acaba para ter um problema de pulmão de forma crônica. So this study, this next one, for example, shows us that when you compare pregnant patients in this column with uh, women in the same age group who are not pregnant, 
those who are pregnant with severe COVID-19 are more likely to require, oops, ICU level care, hang on, here. Uh, mechanical ventilation, meaning need to be attached um, to a, a machine to help breathe for you. Um, or ECMO, meaning um, needing to be attached to a machine that filters oxygen um, to your blood for you. Que slide ali, você te mostra um estudo que te compara grávidas e não grávidas com a mesma idade e com as mesmas características, além em que a única diferença é gravidez. Se amanhã você te olha, naqueles quatro parâmetros que não tem ali, grávida sempre te tem um resultado pior. 10% também para ICU, enquanto que não grávida é apenas 4%, que te exige ventilação assistida, 3% na grávida, 1% na não grávida, que te exige uma respiração ainda muito mais complicada, como o pulmão que você respira, cima que alguém tem que usar um pulmão externo para ajudar a respira, na grávida é dobro de não grávida, e morte também é mais elevado na grávida do que não grávida. So the important lesson from this is that although the absolute risk of COVID-19 is overall low for pregnant women, pregnant women seem to be at higher risk of having severe disease when you compare with non-pregnant women. Embora números de grávida que têm complicação de COVID é que é elevado, mas a hora que têm complicação está a ser complicação devastadora. And for that reason, pregnancy is listed as a risk factor for severe COVID disease by the CDC, along with all of these other um, conditions, medical conditions. Por isso, gravidez está a ser considerado fator de risco para COVID severo, de mesma maneira que outras doenças crônicas, como, por exemplo, cancro ou doença de rinco, está, está considerado doença e risco fator, fator de risco para, para, COVID, para COVID severo. And among the pregnant patient population, risk factors for um, having severe COVID infection would be um, age between 30 and 39, which in our patients is on the older end of the spectrum. A fator de risco para doença severo de COVID é idade entre 30 a 39. Um, Being in a healthcare-related occupation, being black or Hispanic also increases your risk of severe disease. Também, se você trabalha no sistema de saúde, se você é preto ou espanhol, você tem maior risco de ter COVID severo. And um, medical conditions such as diabetes, high blood pressure, kidney disease, or anemia also increase your risk of having severe COVID-19. Também doença acima de diabetes, tensão alta, doença de rim ou anemia, tudo tapou grávida, no risco de ter COVID severo. And the differences we're seeing um, by race are consistent with what we're seeing in the general population, where Black and Hispanic people are more likely to have COVID, more likely to be hospitalized for COVID, and are more likely to die from COVID than uh, white people. The no Taoja, de uma forma geral, na população, mas espanhol e, africa, e, e africano, tem mais risco de ter mais casos de Covid, mais hospitalização 
e mass morte. And then in terms of how COVID may impact a pregnancy, the data is still emerging, but the most consistent things that we have found is that severe COVID-19 um, can increase risk of preterm birth, and by doing so also increases risk of NICU admissions. Embora nunca tem muitos dados acerca de, de consequências de COVID na gravidez, mas ah, não sabe, mas em alguns casos, isso provoca ah, parto prematuro. E com aquele parto prematuro ali, algum de que as bebês ali acaba para ser internado na cuidados intensivos de neonatologia. We've also consistently seen increased risk of C-section for women who are severely ill with COVID-19, as well as an increased risk of stillbirth or intrauterine fetal demise. Também com COVID severo na gravidez, tá tem maior chance de que a grávida acaba para ter um bebê para cesariana e também algum vez o bebê acaba para morrer ou o bebê acaba para sofrer algum estresse antes de nascer. And it is important to note that sometimes women are delivered early, earlier than they otherwise would um, because being severely ill with COVID-19, sometimes um, we think that delivering early may help us to take better care of the mother. Um, and so that may also be driving some of this increased uh, risk of having a C-section for mothers who are too ill to have a vaginal delivery. Também, algumas grávidas, agora que está bastante doente, o obstetra está a ser forçado, a provoca parto prematuro, para uma estágio de amacete, provoca parto prematuro, nesta pode tomar conta, nesta pode trata de mãe melhor. Consequentemente, a hora que parte prematuro, e às vezes pode ter uma cesariana, e bebê, a hora que nasce de forma prematuro, também está com mais risco de ter complicação. We also have very recent data from a multinational cohort um, on women who have COVID-19 in pregnancy compared to women who are pregnant without COVID. Um, and these are some of the findings that we have pulled from this study, which was conducted in 18 different countries around the world. Que é um estudo que vem de um monte de países, que tem incluído 18 países, na onde que esta compara consequências de gravidez na um grávida com COVID e na um grávida sem COVID. In this study, we found um, small but significant increased um, incidence of preeclampsia and uh, high blood pressure related disorders in pregnancy, a small but increased risk of um, C-section for women who tested positive for COVID-19, increased risk of infection requiring antibiotics, Definitely an increased risk of ICU level care for those women who had COVID and a very large uh, increased risk of mortality for women with COVID. So 22 times um, the risk of death in women with COVID compared to women without COVID. Okay, se amanhã eu estou ali, que é o resultado, quanto que se compara grávida com COVID e grávida sem COVID, com tudo outro coisa igual. É clampia e tensão é mais frequente na grávida com COVID, cesariana também é mais frequente na grávida 
com Covid, infecção que te requer tratamento com antibiótico também é mais frequente na grávida, bypass e internamento na cuidado intensivo muito mais alto e mortalidade, então, nem que te compare, 22 vezes mais tchau. Still, the absolute risk of death from COVID-19 in pregnancy is very low. It's 159 women per 10,000 births. Mortalidade de mãe na é de 159 para 10.000 nascimento de bebê. Um, we also know from this study that about 13% of uh, neonates born to COVID positive mothers also tested positive uh, for COVID, that there was a, an increased uh, risk of preterm birth in this cohort and an increased risk of low birth weight, meaning baby born less than 2,500 grams at birth. <inaudible> e Nancy com infecção, um número, esta tem mais chance também de Nancy prematuramente e, consequentemente, a hora que ele nasce prematuramente também tem mais chance de Nancy com baixo peso. And interestingly, there was no association between exclusive breastfeeding and COVID transmission to the neonate in moms who had COVID-19, which is very reassuring. Bom, graças a Deus, que pelo menos entre e lactação e bebê que tem odiado, que tem notado o risco de transmissão de Covid de mãe para bebê. We also know from a couple of different studies that in general, transmitting Covid-19 from mother to baby while mother is pregnant is quite low. So these studies demonstrate anywhere from a zero to 3% risk of the mother giving the baby COVID during uh, pregnancy. Também não sabe, e é um bom informação que não tem ali, mas transmissão de COVID de mãe para feto é extremamente raro. Em alguns estudos já foi zero, E na máxima, eu fui 3,2%. And we also know that transmission uh, of COVID-19 is generally highest for those who deliver within one week of their COVID-19 infection. Também não sabe, mas o risco de infecção é mais alto naquela mãe que tá, tem bebê uma semana depois de ser infectado. In terms of vaccine safety um, in this population, we have um, more data coming out that vaccines are very safe um, in pregnancy. More than 90,000 pregnant women have been vaccinated against COVID-19 in the US, and there have been no significant adverse events reported uh, within this group. In terms of vaccine in pregnancy, grávida que recebe vacina e caudeado nenhum efeito secundário assim que te chama atenção. And um, we also know that um, people who are pregnant and lactating who get the COVID vaccine seem to make antibodies um, that can be transmitted into the breast milk 
And when you compare them to women who have natural antibodies from COVID infection, people who got the vaccine seem to have more of an antibody um, response than those who had um, COVID naturally. So it, it seems to suggest that we may be better protected from the vaccine than from having COVID itself. Não sabe, mas anticorpo está a ser passado na leite de mãe para ser bebê. E pode ser passado tanto com doença como também depois de receber vacina. Só que depois de receber vacina, está por cima a quantidade de anticorpo que está achado na leite é muito mais que eu do que a quantidade que está achado na hora que alguém apanha a doença de forma natural. Portanto, é melhor ser vacinado que espera para apanha a doença depois para proteger o bebê. In our community's very own uh, Dr. Veronica Pimentel, who's a high-risk um, OB, wrote an expert opinion piece about why she chose to get vaccinated while she was breastfeeding. Um, and her reasons were that the vaccine is very safe, that she was um, interested in protecting her baby from COVID uh, through antibodies in the breast milk, um, and that she wanted to reduce risk to her patients, to her family, and to people who she was interacting with. Doutora Verónica Pimentel, um médico obstetra, e tive a ousadia de tomar vacina para poder provar, mas se bebê fica mais bem protegido, tanto durante a gravidez como durante o período de lactação. And so, in summary, um, most pregnant women who contract COVID-19 will have mild or asymptomatic illness, but pregnancy does increase your risk of severe COVID infection, requiring hospitalization and medical care. Um, and that severe COVID-19 infection during pregnancy is associated with preterm birth, C-section, stillbirth, and hypertensive disorders. Maioria de grávida hora que apanha covid Ele tem doença ligeiro ou é assintomático, mas de qualquer maneira a gravidez aumenta o risco de severidade de infecção e às vezes pode requerer hospitalização e cuidados médicos mais tempo. Também não sabe uma covid e severo durante pré e gravidez é associado com a nascimento prematuro, cesariana, a morte de bebê dentro de barriga e Doenças hipertensivas. Also, that Black and Hispanic women and women who have medical conditions are at increased risk of severe COVID-19 infection, and that the COVID vaccine is safe for both pregnant women and breastfeeding women. Tanto não sabe acima de tudo uma uh, African Americans e espanhóis, mas tem mais chances de ter Covid severo e Covid vacina e vacina de Covid até agora não sabe me safe para pregnant, para grávida e para mães que se amamenta. So that concludes my portion of um, this webinar. So thank you for listening in, and I will pass the mic on to my colleagues. Ok, Kukelinta, fim da minha apresentação. Então agradeço a atenção. Então passa para minha colega. Uh, Dr. Andrade, that was an excellent presentation, and you did so very succinctly. You summarized a very difficult field area in very brief slides. Uh, so thank you very much. And Juan, once again, 
uh, you should do all the translations from now on because you do it so well and your ability to, to translate it uh, precisely into Creole is just, you know, I'm very envious. Um, no, don't be, I'm envious of your English. <laughs> uh, so uh, to be able or to attempt to keep our audience uh, still with us, uh, normally I was not planning on taking any questions at the very end, but let's take one question, please. Nina, do you have some other questions? Maybe one that you can read and uh, one of us will take it, please. All right, so th there was a question about uh, if you've had uh, pericarditis before um, and if you get COVID, uh, will you get pericarditis again? Uh, so my answer is, is that it's unlikely. Uh, but we have little to no information because uh, what we have as far as pericarditis in the context of COVID uh, are case reports. Uh, Jerome will talk about this later and I wanna jump around, uh, but the mechanism via uh, the infectivity of COVID is through the ACE2. Uh, and organs such as the, the, the brain, the heart, the lungs, the vasculature and the kidneys uh, express a lot of, uh, or express the COVID, uh, I'm sorry, the ACE2 uh, protein moiety through which the virus causes infectivity. Um, if you've had pericarditis, you know, what pericarditis does is that it causes significant scarring of the pericardium. And as such, I don't think that you're going to have uh, receptors, the ACE2 or mechanism via which the virus can attach and cause it infectivity. In fact, in severe cases of pericarditis, we have to take patients through the OR through sternotomy and essentially try to use saw and, and, and to try to chip out because they did this calcification on and on. So my answer is that I think it's unlikely. Uh, nevertheless, I don't think we have enough information to be able to answer that question to its fullest. We take one more, is everyone energized to continue? All right, well, then I'm moderating. So, so Anibal, I'll come to you since Ryan's done such a wonderful job at translating. Uh, let's go to the renal presentation by Dr. Anibal Mello. And he's gonna to try to similarly to uh, summarize and give us an overview about the acute and chronic consequences of acute kidney injury in the context of uh, COVID, please. Can you all hear me? Hello? Hello? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. We can hear okay. you. Uh, thank you uh, so much for inviting me for this uh, webinar. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, uh, where will I be? My name is Anibal Mello, uh, clinical nephrology in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm going to talk about renal complications of COVID-19, mostly of acute cases because we don't know much what happens chronically. The studies are common. 
And uh, as you are all aware, uh, COVID-19 started in late uh, 2019, uh, developing in Yunnan province in China. Uh, in late uh, January of 2020, the first case showed up in uh, Washington state, followed by a massive infection in New York, which became the epicenter in the United States. At the present time, uh, COVID-19 is affecting, has affected over 32 million people with devastating death toll of about more than 569,000 people in the United States. Do you want to translate? Are we? Uh, I'm here, Dr. Aniba, yes? You want me to translate some? Yeah. So, uh, okay, well. uh, I'm a doctor in Nivo, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a doctor in nephrology. I'm going to talk about COVID-19. It's an association with the disease. In 2019, COVID-19 was in the province of China. And then, in January of 2020, Uh, primeiro caso apareceu na Washington e depois daquele lá uh, tive um mass, um, um, uma infecção massiva tão grande na New York uh, e New York uh, apareceu como epicentro da COVID nos Estados Unidos. Porém, assim, a uh, COVID afeta cerca de 32 milhões de pessoas e uh, nos Estados Unidos com uh, e muita gente já morreu cerca de uh, 569 mil pessoas já morreram de COVID-19 nos Estados Unidos. Um, Nos early, early reports from China and Italy, the incidence rate of uh, COVID-19 and acute kidney injury and COVID-19 was about 0.5% to 29%. In Seattle, uh, it was reported about 19% uh, of uh, acute kidney injury in patients with COVID-19. Uh, by the time the COVID got to uh, New York City, it was about 36% of patients develop, uh, the, with COVID-19 that developed acute kidney injury. In terms of presentation of acute kidney injury, most of the patients present to the hospital with mild disease, essentially acute kidney injury only about three to 5%. Uh, patients also present with hematuria Uh, about 11%, proteinuria, about 43%. Aquela uh, apresentação no hospital de gente que tem COVID, doenças renais, normalmente cerca de 3 de 5% apresenta doenças renais, 11% apresenta blood na urina, hematuria, cerca de 43% das pessoas apresentam no hospital que a proteína seja urina. So protein uh, it, uh, It's unclear at this time if acute kidney injury is due to hemodynamic changes due to acute tubular necrosis, cytokine activation, or virus uh, uh, affecting directly uh, to the kidneys causing a cytotoxic effect. So at this time, uh, due to COVID, the circulatory change que está tendo no bom corpo, ou se é uma ativação de citotoxinas, ou de, uh, vi, aquele vírus que dire, uh, diretamente afeta a rins.
na, na apresentação, quando vamos apresentar no hospital, uh, depois de alguns dias, este desenvolver acute kidney, uh, doenças renais, e a maioria das vezes que este apresenta doenças renais, este está no estado de cerca de 50% de tempo, este tem a stage 1 acute kidney injury, que é normalmente uma elevação de 1.5, de 1.9, elevação de, de creatinine que vou ter na boa regular, na boa baseline, né? Uh, cerca de 50% da queijo de caso é de que está 2, está 3, e normalmente você tem elevação de creatinina desde de 2, uh, mais do que 3 três, três, uh, três vezes elevação. So the peak stages of acute kidney injury uh, uh, during the hospitalization or stage 1, when you have uh, 1.5 to 1.9 fold increase in the baseline serum creatinine, Uh, in about 46.5% uh, of the patient. Stage two, you have an elevation of two to 2.9, which normally is about 22.4% of the patient. Stage three, which is like the worst, is about 31.1% of uh, kidney uh, injury uh, while in the hospital. Of this, patients that present with uh, acute kidney injury, about 14.3% will require renal replacement therapy. In a study uh, well publicized in uh, Northwell Health, which is an association of about 23 hospitals in New York City, uh, that study 5,000, I'll try to see if I'm talking English, uh, 5,449 patients with COVID-19 uh, were admitted between March 1st and April 5th of 2020. This is like the highest uh, uh, period of COVID Uh, in New York City, approximately. This is like at the beginning, we didn't have many uh, therapy. The therapies were still unknown to us. So of these patients, 5,449, 36%, which corresponds to about 1,993 patients, developed acute kidney injury. This new study was made in New York, in the 23 hospital de the New York Metropolitan, involved circa 5,449 COVID-19. Uh, uh, entre março, primeiro de, 1 de março de 1920 e 5 de, de abril de 1920, cerca de 36% daqueles doentes que foi admitido no hospital, o que corresponde a 1993 doentes, desenvolver a doença renal. About 35% of these patients uh, had acute kidney, that had acute kidney injury die. So of the 1993 patients, 694 patients done, which who died, which is an astronomical uh, amount, 35%. So the case went for admitted in the hospital, circa 1993, circa 35% the case went, corresponded to 694, of the uh, patients requiring uh, kidney replacement therapy, which were about 14%, corresponding to about 285 patients, 157 patients died. So essentially 55% of the patients that have chronic, that have kidney replacement therapy, they all died. And only one patient that have uh, kidney replacement therapy, so dialysis, only one, enough, enough, uh, nine patients were, discharge, uh, were discharged. 
So the case doent ka aktiv doença renal e que precisar de alz foi cerca de 2020 so cerca de 39% daqueles doentes ainda estava tudo no hospital. So um bocado de hospital, um bocado de gente ainda no hospital doente uh, depois de um mês desse estudo, né? Uh, talking about the acute kidney injury and risk factors, uh, mainly when you see acute kidney injury, especially at the stage two and stage three, which were like the advanced cases of acute kidney injury, and some of them are going to require uh, renal replacement therapy in terms of dialysis. These patients are usually seen um, in the hospital, in the ICU, and they're always requiring uh, a vasopressor therapy. So the blood pressure is quite low, hemodynamically unstable. They're always on the vent. They're older age and essentially same risk factors, male, uh, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, black race, uh, slash Hispanics are always in here, hypertension, obesity and patients that start with a low baseline GFR, they usually don't do very well. And also patients that have high interleukin-6 uh, cytokines. So these are the risk factors. So if you have, if you're under pressure, if you need mechanical ventilation, for sure, uh, major majority of these patients will be um, uh, developing acute kidney injury requiring uh, some of them dialysis. Um, there's a close correlation between uh, acute kidney injury and respiratory failure. It was seen that 89% of the patients with acute kidney injury were on mechanical ventilation. ventilation. That's a significant number of patients. If you're not on mechanical ventilation, only 21% of the patient will require, will develop acute kidney injury in this setting. So you, the more advanced your kidney uh, disease is, stage two and stage three, uh, you're going to require uh, mechanical ventilation. About 65% of the patients with stage two and stage three acute kidney injury were on mechanical ventilation compared to only 6.7% of non-ventilated patients. So in a case in hospital ventilation so, cerca 98 in the ventilation artificial, so circa 65% of the students. So, boca the ventilation artificial, so boca ventilated, so only 6.7% the case when that they do answers insufficiency in Hanais. Também 96% the case when that recurry dialysis 
were on the Tathakuri Tambe mechanical ventilation. So 96.8 of the patients requiring renal replacement therapy were on ventilators. There's also a nice correlation between mechanical ventilation, the timing of the mechanical ventilation, and the timing of developing acute kidney injury. So 52% of the patients requiring mechanical ventilation developed acute kidney injury, had this onset of acute kidney injury within 24 hours of intubation. So tem uma associação bastante importante entre gente que tem ventilação artificial e doenças renais, uh, porque que a gente que tem doenças renais e que tem intubado, normalmente se desenvolve a kidney failure uh, dentro de 24 horas de, within, dentro de 24 horas de ser intubado. Um, on that, another study of over 3,000 critically ill patients with COVID-19, uh, 21.21% developed acute kidney injury within two weeks of admission to the ICU. So again, majority of these patients uh, that develop acute kidney injury were in the ICU. Uh, the 28-day mortality was quite high at 50%. Risk factors, again, include the older age, oligoria, limited ICU resource. Uh, this is, again, at the beginning, the March, April, we're talking in 2020. Of the survivors to discharge, 34% were uh, Kidney, or on kidney replacement therapy dependent at the time of discharge. And more than half were still requiring uh, kidney, disease, uh, kidney dialysis uh, two months after discharge. Uh, the question out there is, if, is uh, kidney replacement therapy related to the severity of the illness or is it a specific pathology related to the COVID-19? Uh, so in other studies, they involve circa 3,000 doente que estava bastante criticamente doente uh, with uh, COVID-19. 21% desenvolveu uh, doença renais dentro de duas semanas de, que foi admitido para, para intens, cuidados intensivos. intensivos. Uh, de mortalidade uh, dentro de 28 dias uh, foi cerca de 50%. Uh, que os risk factors, que as coisas que permitem mais uh, doenças renais, que inclui, como eu tinha dito antes, older age, allegoria, limited ICU resource. Um, of the patient that uh, survived, 34% were still requiring kidney replacement therapy at the time of discharge. And more than half of the 34% were still on kidney replacement therapy. Um, dois, dois meses depois de ser ter sido dado alta do hospital. É uma questão, uma pergunta bastante importante, se a kidney replacement therapy, de que a gente que está precisando de elas, é relacionado com a severidade da COVID-19, ou é uma patologia especial relacionada com a COVID-19, talvez seja assim tão doente. So, in Nocas Bej Sultan, in Nocas Bej Cosma, much stood to be said, Paper, no Sabe, okay, the Passad is a relationship. Next slide. Another study that looked at the critical illness and systemic inflammatory um, being uh, key risk factors for developing of acute kidney injury in patients with COVID 19. Uh, this again was an observational study. And uh, patients 
um, with severe acute kidney injury uh, occurred exclusively in patients with, in the ICU. About 97% of the patient had respiratory failure. Uh, so what should for a fate, Ktatoshpia, uh, and severidad the doença, the COVID, and the system inflammatory that the body produce, foi um estudo observational study, estudo observação envolvi cerca de 223 kidney renal is is, is renal insufficiency insufficiency renal desenvolvendo cerca de 70 doentes with COVID-19, about uh, 95.7% the case went, uh, the uh, uh, patient case the case went, the case went, the case went, the case the Yes, tinha uma mortalidade muito mais elevada. Um, severe, the doenças renais bastante severe, ocorreu uh, mais naqueles doentes que estavam no hospital, estavam na cuidados intensivos, e cerca de 97% daqueles doentes teve uh, a respiração um, comprometida. Uh, to the point que eu uh, queria ventilação artificial. Uh, mechanical ventilation, vasopressor therapy, inflammatory markers were all independent time varying risk factors of severe acute kidney injury. Increased inflammatory markers were, disp uh, were displayed a close temporal association with development of uh, AKI. So they, they looked at the inflammatory markers including CRP, ferritin, LDH, interleukin-6, uh, neutrophil count, D-dimers, all these uh, lupus, uh, PNF, they looked at these markers and they followed these patients throughout the hospital course and they could see that with the elevation of these markers, then the patient developed acute respiratory failure and also acute kidney injury. Um, the two markers that were very important uh, in terms of acute kidney injury were essentially the, uh, the two, the the pro-calcitonin uh, was one of them that also was studied, and also the neutrophil count correlate essentially with the uh, initiation, I mean, with the development of uh, acute kidney injury and mechanical ventilation. So, this Stutkish Poifate, Respiration Artificial, Necessidade de Medicamentos para manter bom blood pressure. Inflamatory uh, mark, os marcas para inflama, inflamação, em termos de inflamação, uh, foi independentemente uh, relacionado com o desenvolvimento da de, uh, kidney disease. The, the increase in inflammatory markers uh, teve uma relação bastante uh, uh, importante in the development of inflammatory markers and also in close temporal association, uh, 
desenvolvimento de tudo que de, de, não é esses renais. Não é esses renais. Ok. Em termos de acute kidney injury e pathophysiology, as Manuel mentioned, uh, ACE2 uh, receptor is very abundant in the proximal tubes, epithelial cells, and plebiscites. So that's where you're going to find them. It's also abundant in the lungs. So, and that's uh, from what we know so far, that's where the, uh, the virus attaches to. Uh, so the pathophysiology also has been related to acute lung injury. Uh, ARDS, which causes uh, kidney medullary hypoxia, we're developing uh, ATN, uh, sepsis, hemodynamical instability. Uh, there's also hemodynamic alterations, cardiolingual syndrome, myocarditis, cardiomyopathy, cytotoxic effects leading to tubular and photocyte injury. Uh, cytokine release syndrome, we'll hear about this a little bit uh, more. Uh, and also coagulopathy and microangiopathy. As we know, there's ultra PT, PTT, D-dimers, fibrin, uh, fibrin degradation products, DIC, they're all related and uh, are included in the pathophysiology of acute kidney injury in COVID-19. Also, there has been some cases of collapsing GN that's uh, been associated with uh, COVID-19. In terms of... Um, uh, uh, therapeutics and what we do as a kidney uh, specialist, you know, you try to optimize volume status to exclude and treat renal cases while avoiding hypervolemia, uh, which may worsen the respiratory status. Uh, we, as we approach uh, any patient with acute kidney injury, including uh, acute kidney injury due to COVID-19, we evaluate for the cause of acute kidney injury in any way, you know, pre-renal, renal, post-renal. It's uh, worth mentioning here that urine specimens, VB uh, and nephrology, you can look at urine specimens with COVID-19 and they have not been considered highly infectious. Urine specimens, they haven't been able to isolate COVID-19, the, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus from there. And uh, also from the peritoneal fluid, they have not been able to isolate that. So it's pretty safe otherwise. The next slide, I think we're done. Yes. Anivo, uh, th yes. thank, you. thank you so much. Uh, uh -huh. You did double duty there. Uh, double the duty. Presentation <laughs> and mm -hmm. in both languages. Uh, so this is a competition between you and Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not compete with him. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I, um, in order to maintain the flow, um, I'll go next uh, because I think there's going to be uh, some important uh, uh, flow um, and further in-depth sort of at the level of, of the microvascular aspect uh, uh, of my presentation. So uh, Jean's agreed to uh, allow me to go next um, and then we'll finish with Jean. Uh, for the sake of, uh, uh, of time, uh, you all know who I am, Manuel Fonte. I'm a professor at Yale and I'm gonna speak about SARS-CoV-19, thrombotic vascular complications. Uh, uh, we're all familiar with the microvascular aspect of COVID-related and non-COVID-related uh, thrombosis. 
And what I'm going to try to do is also talk, which I think importantly, about the microvascular thrombosis that nobody likes to talk about. Uh, so please uh, allow me to try to make a very difficult topic into uh, as simple as it can possibly be done. And I'm going to begin uh, by asking several questions. First, uh, the incidence, what is the incidence of COVID-19 associated thrombotic events? Next, do vaccines actually cause clot? And then the role of platelets and a neighbor just presented cellular inflammatory response as mediators, important mediators of COVID related microvascular, macrovascular thrombosis. And then I will end with this whole aspect of thrombocytopenia and whether or not it is a mark of a hypercoagulable state versus bleeding risk that most of my surgical colleagues like to think. Uh, Juan, would you please translate? Wow, okay, good talk. Uh, good evening, everybody. I'm Professor, you know, Manuel Fontes. I work at uh, Yale University. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm saying in English. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one. Uh, I will continue. No, 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 no. I will. I will do it. Go ahead. You, you want to do um, it yourself in in Criollo, Manuel? Because you're just up. You can do it good. Uh, I'm not as good as an evil or you. So uh, oh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll make an effort here and there, but for the sake of time, um, yes. I think, uh -huh. and I can share the slides. Uh, after so that uh, if people have questions, uh, they can come back to us and we'll be more than happy to uh, provide uh, more in-depth explanation. Is that okay? Okay. Great. So I think that it's important to recognize that uh, COVID SARS as Jean started his uh, presentation that he will finish shortly. Uh, it's, it, it stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome, uh, uh, but I, I think that's a misclassification. It is a systemic problem, and importantly, that the both acute and chronic consequences of COVID, uh, that it's a multi-organ effect, and it has comparable multi-organ sequelae. And what do I mean by that? Uh, the consequences affect neurologically the heart, the lungs, GI, and kidneys, uh, as you just heard, uh, somewhat equally. About a third of the patients will go on to develop these multi-organ complications. And uh, uh, Dr. Diandrade did speak about uh, the patients that are at highest risk for morbid and, and, and mortality are the ones that have the more severe cases, the ones that end up in the ICU. Now, thromboembolism, uh, that that the report about thromboembolism, and I like to refer to thromboembolism uh, the way we've uh, no medicine and like to talk about is a macrovascular problem. 
uh, cerebral venous thrombosis, planknic thrombosis, uh, vena cava, pulmonary embolism, and so forth and so on. Um, there is or there are also arterial thrombotic complications that are uh, just as important, uh, but we're not talking much about those. Uh, and for example, the incidence of uh, ischemic stroke occurs in about 2% of patients that uh, develop or acquire COVID. Myocardial infarction, if you go based on troponin release, it's way higher than the 1% that you see there, uh, but there's significant uh, uh, dis acute and distant consequences of COVID. Now, Getting back to thrombocytopenia and thrombosis, uh, uh, very early on, after uh, COVID uh, came about, uh, we started reporting, or folks started reporting on these thrombotic underpinnings for COVID. Uh, more recently, uh, there's been an association or attempt association uh, at the virus itself uh, infiltrating platelets and affecting more specifically platelets factor four and causing an autoimmune type of uh, 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 syndrome very similar to the immune thrombocytopenia purpura or ITP. Now question becomes, is this immune versus non-immune? And over the course of this, I hope that we can uh, uh, have a little bit of a better idea. The answer I'll give it to you right now is that uh, we don't have it right now, but I don't think it's an immune mediated problem. I think it's non-immune. The first of, of the vaccines uh, that more, rec or more recently within certainly last three, four months, that's been implicated in causing thrombotic complications, venous thrombotic complications, is the AstraZeneca. And as you may well know, a number of European countries actually stopped administering the AstraZeneca vaccine because of the associated thrombotic events, brain clots and clots in the venous system. More recently, the Johnson & Johnson, after only 8 million doses, uh, eight, p eight patients or six patients is now up to 17, um, uh, were found to have the significant thrombocytopenia associated or thrombosis with thrombocytopenia features leading to the discontinuation of uh, Johnson & Johnson until last Friday that it was reapproved with uh, warning cautions about its potential for clots. So the next question here is do vaccines actually cause Clots. And let's go through this. First, I'm going to begin by presenting to you the more common inherited thrombophilias. And, and we're going to compare their incidence of thrombotic events uh, compared to the general population. Factor V Leiden is the most common inherited thrombophilia, affecting about 5% of the population. And it's associated with a five-fold increased risk in thrombotic event. Next, we have protein C and protein S deficiencies. And these are inherited. Uh, they're associated with a tenfold increase in thrombotic events compared to the general population. 
And antithrombin deficiency, inherited antithrombin deficiency, there's an acquired form of antithrombin deficiency that one of these is I like to talk to Dr. Moreira because I have a lot of ideas about potential research uh, uh, work that I can mentor you through. But anyhow, that increased thrombotic risk by about 20 fold. So now let's visit uh, COVID vaccines and their thrombotic risks. Uh, so TTS, thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome is a term that I only came about like two weeks ago. But anyhow, when you compare COVID uh, related thrombotic events, the general population as I did in the previous slide, uh, it's been estimated to be as high as 95 times greater. AstraZeneca, it's about eight per million vaccines. Johnson & Johnson that I spoke uh, a couple of slides back. Uh, from six, we've gone to 15 and I think 17 today. It's roughly two per million vaccines. Uh, Moderna and Pfizer, this is a UK report that just came out like four days ago, suggesting that it can be as high as one in four million doses. Although Pfizer was very quickly or very quick to put out a statement that that's not really true. Anyhow, comparing COVID related thrombotic events to the vaccines, uh, the report that we have right now is that it, it increased the risk by at least tenfold. And getting back to what Samantha said, uh, to what uh, Dr. Anibal said, get your vaccine. Do not worry about these potential thromboticals. Now we're gonna get into an area that's very interesting to me uh, and it can be complicated and I'm gonna try my best to simplify with cartoons and, 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 and drawings. And that is the role of platelets in cellular inflammatory inflammation and major vascular thrombosis. So here we go. So on the left, we have uh, a photograph of a resting platelet. Uh, it's it discoid uh, plate-like, hence the name platelets. And on the right, you see activated platelets. Uh, it become more spherical with these dendritics or, or tentacles forming platelet aggregation that all of us have learned in a familiar way. Uh, again, please don't read the slide. Allow me to just take you through it. Uh, adaptive physiologic response to the vascular injury. We begin with injury, activation of platelets and, and plugging. The picture or the drawing on the left, let's focus on that for the time being. On the bottom, you have endothelial cells and then we have damage to the endothelial cell, as you see there, with exposure of that subendothelial surface, collagen, extracellular matrix, and these cause platelets to become activated. They clump together and, and, and they form microvascular, they form plugging of the injury. But let's go back and look what else is in this drawing. You have neutrophils circulating in there, red blood cells, the platelets. Let's go to the next slide. Platelets, we think about platelets as having a primary function that is of hemostasis, thrombosis, bleeding versus thrombosis. But it has many other functions, maintenance of vascular tone, 
tumor. I'm not going to go into that. Inflammation, and most importantly, for the purpose of this discussion presentation, it's it's defense or antimicrobial uh, bacteria and virus effect. So what are the possible mechanism of COVID associated thrombocytopenia? The first that's been discussed the most is via platelet activation. Next, activation by increase in thrombin generation. And then viral, as I mentioned, I think in the second slide, but I wanna draw your attention to the platelet leukocyte aggregate. Okay, so please once again, do not read the slides. Allow me to take you through this uh, drawing, <laughs> very complex, but we're gonna try to do this in the most simplest form. So let's start on top where we have endothelial cells lining the vascular lumen. On the bottom, same thing. Uh, Joan will talk about this a little bit more. Anibal mentioned, and I had mentioned also about the ACE2 receptors and in its interaction or their interaction. As you see the viral particles there in green, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 endothelial interaction, I'm not gonna mention much about this because I don't wanna spoil Jerome's presentation that he's been waiting for for the past hour and a half. So we have chemotaxis, inflammations, uh, lymphopenia, complement activation, thrombotic microvasculitis, activation of the coagulation system, and then way over on the right, we have endothelial damage, and we have microvascular thrombosis from platelet microaggregates. That's what everybody talks about. Now I'm gonna to try to introduce you now to this platelet leukocyte microvascular thrombosis. This is a sort of a zoom in to the previous slide. Again, endothelial cells on top and on the bottom, vascular lumen, and we have platelets flowing around, white blood cells, leukocytes flowing around, and then you have that microvascular plugging right there. Now, you see a bunch of platelets aggregated, fibrin strands going across, but then we have leukocytes embedded in there. You all see this, yes? All right, so let's try to make it even simpler. On the right, we have a cartoon of a, a platelet and on the right, we have a cartoon of leukocytes. Let's focus on the right for now. And specifically, I want you to look at these red projections. Uh, this is called adhesion molecule. More specifically, P-selectin. And now let's move to the left where on top, once again, we have uh, a, a cartoon of an endothelial cell or cells. And then on the bottom, we have leukocyte. And I wanna draw your attention to these projections that are coming out of the endothelial cells, but also from the neutrophil. You, we have L-selectin, the same similar adhesion molecule as we saw the P-selectin on the platelets. And then we also have E-selectin that stands for endothelial adhesion molecule. 
Now, this is work that I've been involved with for a very long time. We were the very first to publish on neutrophil activation and acute kidney injury, of course, in the context of cardiopulmonary bypass, because that is a, uh, a very potent form of an inflammatory uh, cascade syndrome. And this, again, is no attempt at uh, 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 a self-promotion. Uh, uh, Anibal just presented on, uh, on neutrophils, acute kidney injury, and as well as the relationship between acute kidney injuries and acute lung injury. So please follow me. This, this slide here is another cartoon. Let's look on the left and it shows a normal kidney. Same as before, you have endothelial linings, we have circulating platelets, leukocytes, we have a very normal looking interstitium, and on the bottom you have very normal epithelial cells. On the right, you don't have to be a pathologist to see microvascular plugging made up of platelets, leukocytes, clumped together forming platelet leukocyte aggregation or aggregates that plug up the microcirculation. Now, when this happens, as you plug up the microcirculation and that size increases, eventually it will manifest as AKI, acute lung injury, cardiac, brain, it's a, this is a systemic problem. Starting principally or from the very beginning as a microvascular process and the macro thrombus that we get later arise from the microvascular underpinnings. Mm -hmm. Okay, well done. so far you're with me. And this is yes. an actual, this, this is no longer cartoon. Now we're moving to actual blood smear showing leukocyte platelets microthrombies you see M for monocytes, B for platelets, L for lymphocytes, N for neutrophils, and so forth and so on. And now we have the myocardium, where we have microvascular plug plugging called the myocardial injury, myocardial infarction. And for all of you, thrombocytopenia in critical illness, and in particular, doesn't necessarily have to be for my surgical colleagues, thrombocytopenia in my opinion, is, is a marker in critical and is a, a consumptive process. What it is trying to tell us is that platelets are being activated, they're being consumed, they're causing microvascular plugging and injury. And let's look at the trajectory in trauma, uh, major surgeries from vascular, orthopedic, abnormal, abnormal, cardiac. And I'm also an intensivist, so I've spent majority of my adult life in the ICU. And it, when you look at the trajectory before admission, before surgery, and over the course of a week or two, you can see that right around day two after trauma, after injury, is where you find the nadir drop in platelet count. And by day four or five, it begins to go up. And then uh, about one to two weeks later, you actually have a hyper response where you develop thrombocytosis. And again, if we were talking about uh, uh, what all people like to talk about platelets and thrombocytopenia and, and heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, that's so uncommon and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna spoil you too much about it. So I've spent about two decades 
researching this topic and we were the first again to, to present or to publish on uh, thrombocytopenia, acute kidney injury, mortality. And then we also were able to demonstrate this in the pediatric population. And what's interesting is that the magnitude of the dropping platelet correlates significantly with the severity of injury, AKI, stage one, stage two, stage three, and so forth and so on. Next, we went and looked at the brain, same thing. Platelet thrombocytopenia associated with stroke. So getting back to what I said from the very beginning, this is a systemic problem with microvascular underpinnings. And in summary, you never thought I would finish. So <laughs> severe acute respiratory syndrome is a misclassification in my opinion. Next, COVID platelet uh, mediated immune inflammation. Is it a factor in these thrombotic complications? I think it's too early. I think the majority of it is non-immune because most cases, as Susan said at the very beginning, most cases of COVID tend to be mild. And I think that if you look at the platelet trajectory in most of these patients, it's mild. By the time we develop these severe forms of thrombocytopenia and associating them with these venous thrombosis, this and that, um, it becomes very difficult to make the association. I'm not saying that they're not related, but if you recall, I did go through the incidence of thrombotic events uh, with and without vaccines, general population support and so on. Next, um, the vaccine thrombotic thrombocytopenia, VITTT, TTS, um, is there a relationship and association? Uh, I'm less convinced about the macro part, but I think that we need to look more closely at the micro part. Again, it becomes very difficult uh, to try to find a pathophysiology, a mechanism uh, amongst these vaccines because we have those that mRNA engineered versus those AstraZeneca and, and Johnson and & Johnson that are vital particles uh, to it where we don't know. And then lastly, as I've said a couple of times, this is very complicated. It's a, a complex interplay amongst humoral inflammatory response, the cytokines inter, and the interleukin, the support and so on, cellular inflammation, the hemostatic system, vascular biology, comorbidities, and maybe we'll save this for a different time because I think we do a lousy job when it comes to anticoagulation management not just in COVID, but overall. And at that, I will stop. Um, and Joan, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I think we All should right. go with the question uh, and answer because- Can you translate that? Huh? Can you translate that? Well, someone knew David Baiku, who pregunta the response. Como todas que tarde depois de antes cada tempo a sensei de ouvir mais tópico, calhar na próxima vez também pedinha tópico. Are you sure? Quando traduz outra vez. Oh my God. It was very good. No, so then let me let me suggest this. João, again, let me apologize, you know, profoundly. No, no, it's not it. And your fault. 
strongly uh, recommend to, uh, to Nene uh, for us to have uh, another webinar where you will focus on the infectious disease and you know we can have you know uh, other speakers uh, you know Samantha and all uh, and Anigo uh, uh, presented on very difficult topics for a very short period of time. But uh, I feel badly that um, you mm -hmm. have not had the opportunity through through glitches, not by intention, to uh, present what you worked so hard for. Um, and uh, you need to come back and present to us uh, all your hard work and your expertise. Sure, no, no, no problem. I'm sure we should do another webinar because information keeps coming and people keep having questions. You know, we need to do update every once in a while for sure. You need translation anymore? Okay. No, I'm good. <laughs> uh, it looks like uh, Samantha just responded. Richelle uh, Amado, boa tarde. Will a recording of this presentation be available after? Resposta, sim. Yes. Outras perguntas? Não? Então, queria agradecer tudo panelists and tudo membros e uh, non-membros que participam nesse webinar. Esse foi uma ocasião muito especial uh, e uh, uh, é parte de missão e objetivo de nós. Uh, te agradeço tudo e não te espera que não te continua. Uh, te te yeah. cresce e te, uh, te prende de companheiros e te dá as informações importantes de medicina uh, para a comunidade ali nos Estados Unidos e para toda parte de diáspora. Obrigado, thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. Can't hear you, Julia. I can't hear. We cannot hear you, Julia. We can't hear you, Julia. Julia. Once again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to this program. I hope it was very informative to you. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you enjoyed this program. And 
speriamo di continuare a contare con noi come fonte di informazione su Google e che dicono in termini di espandimento che non si attraversa il mondo. Obrigado, thank you so much for uh, being a part of this program. Until next time.